0: EAJ 1023 listeners, Sunday morning, once again, Pastor Winston, yes, it's the (laughs) A-game. Yes, I am so excited. I'm excited every week because why? We made it another week. Must mean that God is not finished with us yet. I've decided that for the next couple of weeks, for all of my listeners, whether you listen on EAJ 1023 www.that is EAJ1023radio.com Our web-based radio station Which launched the A-Game We're now doing the A-Game 2.0 I'll tell you a little bit more about that And You can listen to us on Spotify You can hit us up on Facebook EAJ1023radio For the next few weeks I believe I'm going to start our working through a series on thought I want to kind of focus in on the theme of I want to focus in on the theme of um I think I'll, it's forgiveness it's forgiveness it's the freedom that's what it where the topic is I really haven't even gotten a name for what I'm talking to you about yet but um yeah there's a uh, A theme running through my mind that I think might take me a couple of weeks, a couple of sessions on my show platform here to do talking about um, the forgiveness of God. And the reason why I believe I came to the decision to talk about this, this is a group that I work with, a men's group, and we came upon the topic and and through talking about the topic of our relationship with God i kind of seem to to me that most people who believe in God affirm that God is loving yet despite this affirmation It seems like there's a struggle in some way with the confidence, true confidence that God loves us. I struggle with that myself. (laughs) It means that no matter how strong your relationship with God is, there seems that there's always an underlying fear that God does not love us as fully as the Bible claims that he does, or even sometimes our lives and why this doubt. Well, 1 John 4, 18 says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. And if we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. I think it's uh, 1 Peter 5, 6 or 7. I think it's 7 says, give all your worries and your cares to God for he cares about you. So why does the Apostle John make a correlation between fear and the distrust of God's love? We talked in several sessions about how fear and anxiety arise, and I believe that fear and anxiety do arise when we feel unsafe and something in our life is threatened, and we're concerned that we will not have everything we need for a full, abundant, and uh, joyful life, and God, in his love, tells us not to fear, but to trust that he sees us and will provide everything we need for life. According to 2 second Peter one and three it says by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Therefore, we only experience fear when we distrust that God loves us and will provide for us. We fear the future conflict consequence of not having that provision and scramble to manipulate it through our own efforts, creating tremendous amounts of stress. So how would fully trusting God's love have changed how you viewed your past fearful or anxious situations? We all have had them, and we have all had those times where it feels like we're just Not really sure. We know that God is there. We know that God loves us, but we're not really sure because some of us uh, are truthful enough to understand it. We have some very um, unloving characteristics. Those characteristics are opposite or in contrary to who we know we are in the Lord. And so I think going through this process of uh, this, this. understanding from this perspective because first John 4 and 8 says, but anyone who does not love does not know God for God is love. John doesn't say God loves. He says, God is love. And what do you think he means by this? I think that by saying God is love, uh, John declared that love is not something God does, but it is rooted in his character. It is his, uh, um, identity All love exists because God exists. God cannot cease loving because he cannot deny his existence. And external circumstances and other people, uh, player haters and people drinking haterade and your enemies that are all around you, (laughs) they do not control the influence, though, of God's love for us. See if God's love is constant, unchanging attribute rooted in His character. I want you to think about that. If it's if His love is is a constant and unchanging attribute rooted in His character, how does that affect how He loves us? Think about that. How does that affect how? He loves us because God's love for us never increases or diminishes. Um, You cannot increase his love by greater obedience or decrease it by our sinfulness. We cannot control or influence God's nature. He is who he is. In other words, God can only love you with a whole, um, complete, unbridled love. It is impossible for him to do any less. See, in, see, God's love is different than our own. Our, our love is always conditioned on something or someone we love because we are loved or because the object of our love conveys something of meaning to us. All we know is conditional love. Even a mother's love for her child is conditioned on the fact that it's her child. And if our love were truly unconditional, we would love everybody everywhere equally all the time. We would show no favoritism whatsoever, even to those closest to us. See, God loves everyone everywhere equally all the time, regardless of how they behave or what they have done. He cannot by nature love anyone more than he loves you right now. You should give God an applause for that because it's true. And if you don't believe it's true, keep on listening. We will get you there. See, are are you comfortable declaring right now, as I am at this moment, I am fully loved by God. Say it with me right now. As I am at this moment, I am fully loved by God. This is a great declaration because it, there's nothing truer than that in the gospel, in the Bible. Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So if God loves us so profoundly that he's willing to die for us, why do we continue to resist him in so many areas of, of our lives? You know, if, if we fully trusted and embraced God's perfect and um, unconditional unrelenting love for us that how might that change our approach to life just think are there some areas in your life that you know you're not trusting God's love for you I can think of a couple in my own and so if welcome to the club can you share one hour with the God speaking about that see Zephaniah 317, states that for the Lord, your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He will delight in you with gladness, with his love. He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. (laughs) You know, I remember um, putting the kids to bed when they were, when they were kids. That's been a while. I'd always say, I love you. And I like you too. (laughs) I wanted my kids to know (laughs) that as a parent, I love them, but I also enjoy them. In Zephaniah, um, God foretold the judgment that was about to come to the nations, including Judah. But he also declared that there would be a day when God's wrath would be removed and he would restore his people to himself and rejoice over them with gladness and loud singing. This prophecy was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ when he died to remove our sins and restore you to a relationship with the Father. He always loved you, but your sin had to be removed for there to be full reconciliation. Luke, in his uh, chapter 15 and 10, says, In the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels, when even one sinner repents. So how do you react to the idea that God not only loves you, but actually rejoices over you when you turn to him? Oh my God. Do you believe that God currently likes you? (laughs) Do you think that he is still rejoicing over you? (laughs) See, we have to remind ourselves that God delights in us. God delights in us. He's not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. Um, and as you reflect on this incredible truth over, over, over the next week or so, um, I, I want to encourage you to share if it made any practical difference in your life. Understanding God, never-ending, reckless love for us. Now, I know one of the things that, you know, God is good, but one of the biggest challenges to the um, existence of God is the question of how a good God could allow so much evil and suffering to exist. Ultimately, they're questioning the justice of God. Now, I had to do a bit of digging through the through the text, but I found in uh, Psalm 9, 7 to 8, um, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. So what does it mean to say then that God is just? He, I, I believe um, that God will always give the appropriate or correct response to Every situation and judge according to His holy standard. God can never turn a blind eye um, to evil, and ultimately will not allow righteousness, unrighteousness. No, he okay. He will only allow. He will only allow righteousness to prevail. That's how I want to say it. Okay. Yeah. He'll never turn a blind eye to evil, but ultimately he will only allow righteousness to prevail. Obviously though, God does not judge anyone immediately. (laughs) This apparent delay in justice is what creates tension for us. See, even people in scripture struggled with this reality. They started to question why they were even following God. If wicked people prospered and the righteous struggled, As a matter of fact, this was one of the thoughts. Um, if you look at um Psalm 73, it says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing, my feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper, despite their wickedness. They seemed to live such painless lives their bodies are so healthy and they don't have troubles like other people they're not plagued with problems like everyone else they wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty these fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for they scoff and speak only evil in their pride. They seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know? They ask. Does the Most High God even know what's happening? <laughs> look, look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Even mourning brings me pain. And if I had really spoken all this to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O oh God. And I finally understood the destiny of the wicked, hmm. that the psalmist had a change of heart or mind, it seems as he walked into the sanctuary of God. he was reminded of the big picture of life. he realized that even men will prosper temporarily, but that a day of reckoning will come when they will be destroyed in the grand scheme of eternity. It's better to suffer in the present and invest in the eternity than to be judged for all eternity. And so Jesus said essentially the same thing when he said in Mark eight thirty six, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? See, David wrote a beautiful psalm relating how awesome God is in his omnipotence, omnipresence and creativity. He is in awe of God's creation, especially how he had been at work in his own life from the moment he was conceived. But then as he reflected on those opposed to God and his purposes, it invoked or evoked a deep, deep anger within him. You'll see that he wrote in Psalm 139, um, just verses 17 to 24. He said, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. O God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh, Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred for your enemies are my enemies. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Tell me, have you ever been so angry at people that you want to God to give them the justice they deserved right away? <laughs> See, David, David had suddenly changed his tone in verses 23 or 24 of that psalm. See, as David was venting at evil people calling out for their judgment, he suddenly paused, realizing perhaps that he is sometimes that evil person himself. David was not guilt-free and realized that whatever judgment he was calling down on others, he himself, oops, <laughs> uh might also deserve it. So David takes a more self-reflective, repentant approach asking God to reveal unrighteous thoughts in his own life. Clean up your side of the street or your front porch before he comes sweeping up our minds. <laughs> what can we learn from uh, this turnaround in David's thought? Excuse me. <coughs> All right, got that out of the way. So, I don't think we should be too quick to ask for immediate judgment. Mm-mm. No, God, please no. See, see, God is the judge and he will judge righteously at the appropriate time. Instead of demanding justice, we should perfect, reflect on our own lives and praise God for the grace he has shown throughout our lives. In other words, we ain't so suchy much. If God were to judge all evil right now, what would be the consequences for all? all people if god judges everyone's evil actions right now then everyone who had not received christ's forgiveness would be eternally condemned because of his holiness god must ultimately destroy all evil regardless of the extent romans 6 and 23 reminds us that for the wages of sin is death? You see, there is an appointed day of judgment coming according to uh, Revelations 20, 11 to 15. He says, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it, the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead and death and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the fire. Peter tells us, and at the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed see if in light of this reality do you want judge to judge yourself or even others i mean right now no i i need the grace period that, that he gives me to repent to turn around from those it says that if i confess my sin he's faithful and just to forgive me and restore me to righteousness because Every day that God withholds righteous judgment is just an act of pure grace, and that is what we have to remember, and that will keep us grateful and make us easier on other people when we see their faults. 2 Peter 3 and 9 said, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. Some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He said he loved the whole world so much that he gave his son so that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Peter stated that God was withholding judgment for the sole purpose of giving people a greater opportunity to repent and avoid destruction. So if God is withholding judgment so that people are given more time to repent, what does that suggest? (sighs) Should be the focus of our remaining time in the world. Just just stay with me for a moment on this thought, okay? See, if God is withholding judgment so that more people have the opportunity to hear the good news of salvation, then our lives should be focused on this one endeavor. Instead of judging others for how they fail us, demanding that they get what they deserve, we should be more motivated Christians by desiring that they avoid judgment through a restored relationship with God. I want you to take some time and just uh think about this. Like I said this this thought I'm as I'm doing the writing on 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 the thoughts and looking up the scriptures and keeping everything in context um we we understand um, i think this is going to take you yeah, definitely more than this session cuz I'm, I'm still kind of writing cuz okay so we the the problem with our judgment cuz there's there's God's just judgment uh, and his righteousness in the middle of it um and i want to talk for a little while about the problem with our judgment cuz we all judge people we do it without even thinking about it or realizing that is happening we evaluate wait, people's actions and then treat them according to what we believe they deserve consider how you typically react to people when they fail to meet your expectations some um examples people give they they have aggressive behavior like speaking harshly to the person a quick temper swearing verbal confrontation threatening the person pointing fingers giving off all kind of insults emotional abuse stalking obsessing physical violence even murder um those are the aggressive but then there's also um a list of uh I'd call them passive aggressive behavior, like not talking to the person, giving them the silent treatment or talking negative about that person to others behind their back. And social media is included in this undermining the person, their work or their reputation or using sarcasm, just being plain old argumentative refusing to support the person even when they're right or have a resentful attitude or not encouraging them. And when you believe someone has wronged you, what sort of consequence do you typically give? Do you tend to express your anger or do you take a passive aggressive approach? This stage of being honest with ourself about that, see, judgment can be extremely subtle. We may not even be aware that we are judging another person. See, every time, you withhold the full extent of your love from a person because they have not lived up to your expectation you have judged them yes it is so true and it's so nice i'm gonna say it twice that every time you withhold i withhold we withhold the full extent of our love From a person, because they have not lived up to our expectations, we have judged them. What do you think about that quote? like you guys to call in to EAJ 1023 um, and uh, let him know what you think about that, right? In light of this, how judgmental (laughs) are we? See, none of us like to be judged. So what motivates us then to judge others so frequently and so quickly, you know? See, there's there's three significant problems I just want to touch base on when it comes to judging others. Number one, according to the scriptures, we make terrible judges. (laughs) Matthew 7, 1 to 5 says, judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's it in a nutshell. That's why we make terrible judges. We make terrible judges because we have sin in our own lives. No one has the right to judge another person because we're all guilty. When we're not t- I'm not talking about pointing out a sinful behavior. We're talking about the kind of judgment where we condemn them to one place or the other at the end of their physical existence. <laughs> like condemning someone to hell. Only God can do that. And we never know. See, we tend to diminish our own sin while evaluating or elevating the other person's sin. Jesus stated that only he who is without sin should cast the first stone. So none of us are guilt free. We should focus on our own issues before being quick to judge others for their issues. I know it might it might be tight, but it's right. You know that Romans two and one says you may think that you condemn such people, but you're just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do the very same thing. See, we might argue that we don't do the same evil things. We have never done anything as harmful to others as what other persons have did. What do you think Paul means when he says we are more sinful than we realize, that we tend to judge based on the second greatest command of loving others. In other words, we determine righteousness based on how we treat one another on a horizontal plane. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, we're ignoring the greatest command of loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And the reality is that we have never kept the greatest command. We commit the vilest evil possible every moment of our lives by not fully embracing and loving God with our whole being. And through our own efforts, we continually fall short of righteousness. When I judge others for their sin, I judge myself at the same time. See, God alone is the righteous judge. He gave the law. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So you and I have no right to judge our neighbors. Don't condemn another believer. Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all will stand before the judgmental seat of God one day. Just, just a, just a, a, a parting thought is, you know, what ways rejecting God as judge a worse offense than <laughs> what the worst offender has done to you. See, okay, it's not not only does rejecting God as judge break the greatest command, but it also distorts our very understanding of the nature of God. It declares that God is not just, God is not loving, God does not care about you, and God is oblivious to evil. In other words, we declare, Ourselves and others, that God is not God. He cannot be trusted, and by implication, He is not worthy of worship. Therefore, in light of God's failure, we must take matters into our own hands and enforce real justice. This is why we discover there's little desire to authentically worship God when we judge and condemn others. I think I'll leave us off with that. Listen, the A game, the Sunday morning lineup jump in um, at 8 and stay till 11 o'clock with us. Um, We are all enjoying um, each other's segments and time on the platform. And we we love you listeners and we look forward to a time when we can meet you and hear from you don't forget the a game is on spotify and some other platforms too i'll probably have a list of those later um i'll tell a little bit more next week god willing next session about the new a game um, 2.0 self-improvement program and as always eddie love you thank you for the platform all the eaj 1023 family love you Love being on the platform and sharing the time and sharing our gifts, talents, skills, and opinions with those in the world around us and the EAJ1023 listening family. God bless you. And don't forget, be blessed. You are blessed. But be blessed on purpose because that's the way God wants you to do. He He blessed you on purpose, so just be blessed on purpose. You don't got to deserve it, anything. He just did it for you. That's why it's called a gift. Amen? Amen. God bless you all. One more time. Remember, ain't no stopping us now. Ask, ask Eddie OJ. He'll tell you it gets better. <laughs> Won't you, Eddie?